0: The Great Bible Reset is a podcast devoted to counteracting the Great Economic Reset of Klaus Schwab using Bible lessons and theory. Thank you to boomers-alive.com for sponsoring this podcast and the Kingsway Classical Academy. This week, we are continuing our study on the great books of Western civilization and their effect on our current economical and spiritual crisis. And now your host, Oliver Woods.
1: Welcome again, everybody, to greatbiblereset.com. I'm Oliver Woods, and we've been talking this week about John of Salisbury and his failure to bring about this this great Bible reset in terms of a national commitment to the law of God in our criminal justice system that extends to really to this very day. He was the first to articulate a theory of civil government, and, and is known therefore as the father of modern political science. The problem was he tended to refer to the Bible as just one authority. Among many in the establishment of a civil government, And he would refer to uh, Plato and Aristotle and Cicero, uh, Justinian, and so forth. And then bringing the Bible is just uh, just one more one more possible authority. So uh, the Great Commission involves discipling the nations. Uh, the word is uh, the Greek word is ethnos, which is probably better translated cultures, which includes nations and their um, their governments and um, application to. Uh, to the criminal justice system. So, in our quest to achieve this great Bible reset, uh, what we want to do today is talk about some examples of what that should look like. Um, what does discipling the nations look like in practical terms? Uh, and, and in particular, how does it relate to um, to a government and its criminal justice system and so forth? So, to help answer that question uh, today, again, we've got Pastor. Uh, Paul Michael Raymond uh, from Appomattox, Virginia. And uh, welcome again, Pastor Raymond. Um, perhaps uh, for those who weren't with us last week, you can uh, start out. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry there in um, in Appomattox and then in uh, in Africa as well.
2: Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Professor. Uh, well, we we um, we have a church. Of course, we have a church here. It's the Reformed Bible Church. In Central Virginia, at Appomattox, we also have. We don't call it a denomination. Uh, we we structure our sister churches' affiliation as an alliance, just like Calvin did in Geneva with the other churches in that area in Switzerland and in Geneva, the area there's in and, and Bern and other other churches. So what we have is more of a Genevan model, where our sister churches are. Affiliated together, we do work together, but it's not denominational. In other words, we do have some differences among the churches. So, but we do have that, and we're uh, we're very blessed to have pastors in those churches who think the way the way we think about God's law and uh, about His sovereignty over all the nations. So, we have that. We have our church, we have sister churches, and then we started the New Geneva Christian Leadership Academy. Which is a seminary, a two-year, four-year uh, undergrad school, as well as a grad school, master degrees and MDivs and things of that nature. But it's a it's a leadership academy. It's more of an application. Here's the the materials. How do we use them in the real world to disciple the nations to change the face of civilization? Godward. So it's a very applicable, action-oriented. I like to say an energized uh, college and uh, grad school as well. So we we have that. And then we were contacted many, many years ago by some of uh, our brothers in Rwanda who wanted to start a church there. We helped them start a church in Rwanda. Some of them then moved to Ethiopia and started a seminary there. And we're working with them uh, in Ethiopia in their seminary work. And it's been very encouraging only because of the passion and the, the seriousness, how serious these people are about learning uh, about Christianity, about the reformed faith. Uh, so, and, and the reformed faith there in Ethiopia is very, very slight. There's not a whole lot of folks there, mostly Pentecostal, Arminian, uh, Lutheran, uh, Roman Catholic, but as far as the reformation is concerned, uh, very, very few. So we've got, uh, a very interesting group of folks there very passionate and we're working very closely with them. And of course my work over the many years with, uh, with, with you, uh, with Kingsway. It's been, it's been wonderful. And uh, I even, I even learned from some of the teachings that I, I do with the students. So I do appreciate that, but that's basically what we do
1: here. All right. That's great. Um, Let me ask you, um, you know, there's been a lot of um, talk recently uh, in certain, I guess certain reform circles you could say about this idea of Christian nationalism Ken, kind of what's your take on that? You know, what is what is Christian nationalism and where would where would we do we find that in the Bible? You know, where would we find it? um And I guess how how would we apply that?
2: Yeah, well, th- that is that is quite interesting. And, and I've been a lot of a lot of folks have been talking to me about this. And is it the right thing? Is the wrong thing or what, what is it? And I I had to I had to do some research because and it's funny I was reading about that not not too long ago from uh, from Calvin's uh, position and he said that uh, forces that destroy the church and society um, religious nationalism is basically revolutionary militaristic and it it is not uh, what the Bible would uh, would allow. And he was very much against this idea of nationalism. I think, I think when when you put a a label on something, Christian this or Christian that, or or for instance, the 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 one that was always popular was Christian libertarianism. Well, that's an oxymoron. (laughs) If you're a libertarian, then you can't be a Christian because you're going to just uh, allow most anything. You're not going to function under the moral standards of God's law, the ethical standards of God's law. So this whole idea of, of nationalism uh, is, 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 very, is very problematic. Um, Calvin said that nationalism can be confused for a, a time with genuine uh, Christian patriotism, because it's really not patriotism, Christian patriotism. It's, it's more of uh, my nation, uh, right or wrong, I'm going to support it. Patriotism is probably the better term that we need to start promoting Christian patriotism. We are citizens first and foremost of the kingdom of God. Then we are citizens of our, of our place of birth. I think one of the problems especially if you live in America if you live in the United States of America the United States of America should be defined not so much as a nation but as a republic because a republic is it gives that 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 connotation of a a governing body a a a body under law and that it should be a Government of laws, but what we're trying to promote is a government under God's laws, God's righteous laws. So this whole idea of nationalism really, it, it really could be problematic. And and I think we need to do some more research on that. Uh, I I think we we uh, we we don't really know um, what we're talking about sometimes when we uh, when we talk about nationalism. You know Calvin said this: nationalism tries to make use of religion but does not tolerate contradictions from the church. So, so, okay, so now you have the nation saying X and the church comes along and says, now wait a minute, that's not right. The, the, the scripture says this. Well, the nation is not going to tolerate any contradiction from the church. So it becomes a, a, um, a law unto itself. So I I think what we we've got to be careful when we throw out these isms because there we may want to be saying one thing, but in actuality we're not saying what we really want to say. Uh, Calvin continues says by by every means it strives to silence the voices opposed to it and to close the mouths of preachers that are seeking to impress upon the nation the laws of God. So nationalism can be really really a dicey. Place to be. Now, I have, I have, um, I have friends. I even have, uh, I have a couple. One, one student um, that is promoting nationalism, and I, I, I just think his motives are right. I, I get it, but I don't think that's really what he's trying to say because he's using terms that have been defined in one way, and he's trying to define it another way but that can't be because it's already been redefined in the way that is negative. So, so Calvin, I I want, he protested, uh, he protested against any kind of, of move toward, toward nationalism, because he was all about, he was all about uh, the the, the law of God, all about the law of God being uh, the, uh, the, the the organizing structure of society. Um, One, uh, one of the, one of the point from this, um, from this author that, uh, quoting from Calvin, he says, history teaches us that whenever a part of the church once more takes seriously the teachings of the word of God and applies it in practice to public and private life, thus becoming what we might rightly call a confessing church, it comes up against the kind of religious people for whom a political ideology takes precedence over genuine faith and who demand total submission from the church. Frequently, this ideology can be a form of nationalism. So we really got a problem with that nationalistic uh idea. So we need to we need to stop banging that drum and say, no, 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 no. This is wrong. This is wrong. We don't want, we don't want nationalism, whether you want to put a label that's Christian or not. Gotta be really careful here.
1: Yeah, it seems like that that the word that or that suffix ism, you know, is uh it's is, is kind of a problematic and, and You know, when you you look at the Great Commission, we are talking about Christian nations, right? Make disciples of all nations. So maybe we should be talking about, you know, a Christian nation rather than Christian nationalism. Um, You know, when you look at um, Exodus, you know, that that passage in Exodus uh, 20 through 24, which is right in the heart of the book of Exodus. And uh, chapter 20 um, is the Ten Commandments. And in the next three chapters are uh, ordinances. And then the final chapter, 24, um, is the commitment. Uh, and it talks about the, the words, and it doesn't say 10 words, but it's referring to the words, you know, the, the Ten Commandments. And then and then it refers to ordinances, which is uh, 20, uh, 21 through 23. And then it lumps them all together as it calls it the Book of the Covenant. And um, it's sort of like, you know, you can't have the Ten Commandments And then throw out these ordinances, which I think a lot of churches want to do. God treats it as a as a uh, as a unit, and I'm wondering if you know if if that isn't our model for, won't say Christian nationalism, but for a Christian nation. And it's interesting because uh, near the end of those ordinances, it kind of I think it's the last half of chapter 22, and then the first half, the first part of chapter 23. It's there's a set of commands that have no penalty. In other words they're not crimes and but they're there's are commands and admonitions you know things about uh, uh, de- dealing with interests and so forth um, and there's there's two bookends there one of them on at, and they both have to do with do not mistreat a stranger are the two bookends that surround those those commands that have no uh, penalty but I'm, I'm wondering if you know if maybe that should be our model you know in terms of uh, because that's the first thing that um uh, Moses brought down from Mount Sinai was the Ten Commandments and then these ordinances as well um but I don't know does that does that make sense
2: yeah well I, I want to make i want I want to make a mention on two things first of all, every civil magistrate had his priest as his counselor Moses had Aaron okay David had his priest okay well, nationalism takes the priest out of the equation he divides. What God has put it together. He puts us under what God has put together. Okay. So nationalism is just a political entity without any any input by the church. That's a problem. That's a real problem. That's what we have today. <laughs> they don't want an input from the church. When's the last time you you, you heard the president call a, a true minister of the gospel uh, to uh, counsel him on, on immigration law? that <laughs> it's unheard of. But but I want to say something else. And I think we have to start talking more biblically than politically or what is comfortable. We have to get out of our, because, you know, we've we've been so indoctrinated, I think we have to get out of it. You know, the last thing a fish knows is he's wet. The last thing that we realize is that we've been indoctrinated and brainwashed. But here's what I say. When we talk about nations, we've got to remember that the purpose of the preaching of the gospel is that all of the nations will flow into the kingdom, okay? So there will no longer be nations. There will just be one kingdom under God. And that's what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah chapter 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days, and that's what we're in as we continue to push the gospel, as we continue to preach the law of God, that the mountain of the Lord's house, that's the kingdom. Now remember, Eden, the Garden of Eden, was on a mountaintop. Sinai, the law was given from a mountaintop, okay? So the mountain of the Lord's house, it says here, shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, talking about the kingdom of God, okay? The kingdom of God is going to be exalted above all of the other kingdoms and all nations shall flow unto it. So they're going to be, all of the nations are going to be swallowed up. Eventually, or this is, the, this is the plan, this is the hope, this is the post-millennial hope that no one really wants to talk about, but this is what we're looking for, that all of the nations will not be nationalistic, but they will be kingdom-minded, and they will be under a king which has a law and a judicial system, a penology, which is pure and righteous, because it is under the law of God who is pure and righteous. So, so I think we have to think about these nations flowing into. That's why we're discipling nations. And what are we discipling them to do? To flow into the kingdom mindset. And I think that is so important in our eschatology, in our, uh, our applying of the law, our, our, the- our theonomy. So, so when we think about nations, we don't want to think about individual nations. We want to think about the nation flowing into the kingdom. Rather than being separate nations
1: of the world. Mm, no, that's good. Yeah, the uh, you, know, you mentioned immigration. Uh, can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, we got the you know, we got the problem on our southern border. Uh, I mean, it's, it's is immigration supposed to be restricted, or uh, is the real problem just the fact that we're giving making all this welfare available to these folks uh, that uh, we didn't used to when when people came in? Um, any thoughts on that from a biblical perspective?
2: Well, you, you just said a number of things uh, to unravel. A welfare, which is totally unbiblical, uh, uh, as far as how we do it. Uh, I, a dear friend of mine is a congressman in, in the United States uh, House of Representatives. And we were talking the other day about about international welfareism, And he said, don't even go there with me. It's crazy. It's crazy. And this man is a real Christian, by the way, one of the few that are in Congress. But as far as, as far as immigration, God has a lot to say about immigration. Some of the stipulations forced someone to immigrate, uh, in, into the kingdom of God, into the nation of Israel, in other words, into the tribes, they were very strict stipulations. They have, they had to come into the covenant that to be mindful of the laws of God, all, all of those things. But this is a promiscuous, what the United States is doing now is a promiscuous, unfettered, uh, just violation of of, of of what God has called us to do and this is why we're being destroyed now understand something else. one of the judgments of of God's covenant being violated one of the judgments is that we will be overtaken by strangers and that and that is exactly what is happening now in Deuteronomy chapter 28 if you read chapter 28 we are seeing, that we are being overtaken by the strangers, and what they're doing, they're bringing not only their religion, which of course, right now it really doesn't matter. We're so so pagan at this point; it, it really doesn't matter. But they're bringing they're bringing their crime, they're bringing their their wickedness, their evil. They're bringing the drugs. They're bringing their political ideologies, which are going to just wreck the nation, and and they're they're destroying the economy. So. I don't know if you could point to anything that is good about this influx of, of immigrants. So so once you deny God's law, you will reap the whirlwind because you're sowing the wind. And that's what we're doing. And, and honestly, just as a uh, footnote, I believe that this is done on purpose. It's not an accident. This is a planned coup. Against the structure of the United States of America.
1: Yeah, that makes sense for sure. It, you know, and looking back to um, maybe uh, in terms of the you know the whole COVID thing, um, uh, what uh, you know, what specifics of God's law do you think could have um, or knowledge of God's law could have prevented everything we we just went through for the last three years? Uh,
2: yes. Yeah. That, good question. Well, I I, I think. I think that the the real fundamental problem, uh, the, uh, the ideology of ministers, they were so fearful because of their lack of faith, first of all. Now, that didn't mean you should just, if there really was a plague, you should have recognized it wasn't a plague. But they were so fearful of what the state would do. They switched allegiances from God to the state. That's the first problem. The second problem was they failed to realize historically how the church responded to real plagues, like the bubonic plague, like the plague of of Europe in 1348 and 1349. The church is never closed. They stayed open to give hope to the people who had lost family members. They gave hospital beds to those who were ailing, who were sick. Some of the ministers died. Even Thero Beza, he contracted the plague. He was healed, of course. He didn't die from it. But he was out there helping the people. The churches were open. I mean, this is the problem. now. Now, let's go into the sinister realm of why the state wanted to close the church. It wasn't about safety at all. Because the state believes that they are God. The state believes that they are God and the state is not God. Okay. So let's just make that clear. Because the state believes that they are God, the only way that they could really assume the position of God in their own mind, of course, or in the mind of the populace is to disenfranchise and break communion with Christ and his church. So what they were doing was, They were forbidding communion with Christ by closing the churches. Because if you can break that union and communion, you can usurp the throne. That was their mindset. Because if they could break that communion, not only with Christ at the communion table or before the word of God being expounded, but also the communion of the body of Christ with one another, dividing and conquering them they could control the situation because fear is a tool. And what happened was the the pastors just capitulated. They just fell apart. But it wasn't so much, and I've heard this before, the pastors didn't only close their churches for fear of sickness. They closed the churches for fear of, of reprisal from the state. That was the crime. That was the crime. What we did here in Virginia was, well, it's a long story, but we didn't close. We stayed open. And we were just, we were so busy. We, we had standing room only, not only in the sanctuary. It's pretty small anyway. But in every room, we had to put closed-circuit TV, closed TVs in every room. Because people understood that they had to worship, even if they were to die because of COVID. And during that six-week period, not one person got sick. Oh, well, people got sick later on. We all dealt with COVID. Okay, and we're all better. Nobody died. So I, I really think that if we follow the Word of God and we could take the precautions the first the first day, I separated some of the families, make sure now nobody was getting sick. We didn't have, you know, no one was grabbing donuts off the same table or anything like that. We were careful. Just like if anybody had, a stomach virus. We were careful then too, probably more so, because that's so disgusting. So, so we want to be very careful. The state has no jurisdiction over the church; it stops at the door of the church. And unless we bring that mindset home to the people and to the pastors, the state will always seek to have another crisis, another another uh, thing that they're going to want to close the churches down or usurp the authority of Christ unless we can get the mindset of the people to recognize that the authority of the church is the authority of the church and the state has nothing to do with it, this could happen again and and again and again.
1: Yeah. And in, you know, in the case of a real pandemic, uh, there's there's a passage in, uh, I think it's Leviticus, where it talks about um, a person with leprosy, you know, a communicable disease that, um, they're supposed to be isolated here locked down so to speak outside the camp you know you don't lock down the whole right camp,
2: right,
1: right but right. we did
2: exactly we were... and also the conscience of the individual if you don't want to come to church because you feel you're getting sick or you're elderly or you have an immune problem fine stay home we have internet log on you know you hear the sermon online but but not to, to, to close down the church was very wicked it was evil and yeah. uh, I, I, I'm, I'm so thankful God ver- has been very merciful to us and, and others in the area that did not close, that did not close, and God has blessed us because of it.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, well, just uh, on a cl- I guess one closing question, uh, you know, in, in light of the, what seems to be looming judgment, you know, in many different areas, the you know, Klosh Swab wants to uh, impose the, um, Economic great, uh, great reset, you know, the cashless society and so forth and other things. Well, you know, what is there hope? You know, is it, uh, is it, what can we do specifically, I guess, as individuals in this church to um, allay God's judgment? Um, uh, You know what I I
2: mean? Yeah, good question. Now, we've dealt with this. In quite some detail in our own blog and our podcast. And you can find that on tacticalrecon.org, tacticalrecon.org. I think, in order not to get into the weeds on this, the best thing that anyone can do is build a community. And I, I think the best place to build a community is you already have a community in your church. So begin to examine your church. As far as a division of labor is concerned, see who has certain skills, who's who's farming, who's gardening, who's got electrical skills, plumbing skills, whatever kind of skills. Uh, if you live in a city, that'd be a little bit difficult. But if you live in a rural area, you could probably uh, do well. One of the things that you really need to start doing is becoming um, influential, to become influential in your community is to be conspicuous, talk to the the store owners, get familiar with your sheriff, the deputies, the, the Commonwealth Attorney, the district attorney, some of, some of the uh, city fathers or the county supervisors, and and start to to m- make yourself known, and keep your keep your eyes open to what's coming down you know what's coming down the pike. Even you can even talk to. Uh, the supermarket managers and ask them how how's your how's the flow of of goods coming into the store? Do you see a, 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 a s- a lack of of goods coming in store, lack of food or whatever, and get get their skinny on that. See what they think, and then you could prepare that way. But a community is very important. A secure community. We have a militia here in the, in our Virginia and Appomattox. We have a local militia. We have we even have a church militia, uh, and what we do there is we provide security if necessary. In fact, during that COVID situation we had um we had the militia outside just in case we were going to be molested by the state police or or the sheriff's department but the sheriff's department said no 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 you're protected we'll protect you no problem just worship because they're all christian guys here anyway so so i think your community is your safety so get involved in some sort of a community I know many many times I'll get a phone call from someone. Oh, I need help with my electric bill or I need food or whatever. And I ask the same question. Are you involved in the church? And they always answer the same thing. No. So well, there's your safety. You just you just denied your, your safety net. Get involved in the church. That's where the safety is. So that's something that that's something that we should start building. A community of like-minded individuals that are um, very uh, knowledgeable of certain things that they can, they can provide for the health of
1: the entire community. All right. Well, thanks, Pastor Raymond. Those are really good thoughts and uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. I know you're really busy. And, um, for any, you know, any college age students, um, you can visit uh, newgeneva.us, and this is not only seminary, but also um, there's a program, I believe, for laying a foundation under any career, trying to think through the biblical implications of, um, you know, what it means to be a plumber or, or a, an, an accountant or a, a, an attorney or whatever, and um, and uh, so, uh, Pastor Raymond is definitely uh, equipped to help you with that. Um, also, KingswayClassicalAcademy.com. He teaches there. Uh, great books from a biblical standpoint, and um, analyzes uh, you know great books from a very distinctly Christian perspective. We will uh, we'll sign off for now, and uh, look forward to uh, picking this up again next week on Tuesday. Thanks, Pastor Raymond. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more episodes, visit GreatBibleReset.com. And to help support the podcast and Kingsway Classical Academy, visit our sponsor at Boomers-Alive.com. To learn how to get your high school diploma and bachelor's degree on the same day, visit KingswayClassicalAcademy.com and save up to $100,000 on college tuition.